0: reading from the book of Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks to us personally and for the way that it speaks to us corporately as a church. And we ask, Lord, as we look at this passage again today, that you would speak to us and show us from your word what you would have us do what your will is for us as a church, what your will is for us as uh, your body gathered together, that we might live in honor to you and give glory to your name by what we do and how we we live together as a church. So pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts, help us to understand this word more deeply today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, last week we read the same passage, Uh, you weren't mistaken if you thought that, you'd seen it before, Um, and we're going to look at that passage again today. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen to that message from last week, then I would encourage you to do so. Uh, It's not essential in order to hear today's message, but it will provide a good foundation for what we're going to look at uh, this afternoon. What we saw in this passage last week was the significance of unity in the church, which clears the way for the Lord to act with greater liberty among us if he chooses to do so. But there is, of course, more to be said about these uh, verses. Something momentous happens in this passage that, from our perspective, nearly 2,000 years later, we can easily miss. And this passage marks the first appointment of leaders in the history of the church. the apostles, you remember, they were appointed by Jesus before his death and resurrection and before the birth of the church at Pentecost. This, this is the first time since the church came into being that anyone has been given a position of responsibility. And it sets the essential pattern For the rest of the New Testament to expand upon. Now I don't know about you but I grew up hearing that the New Testament doesn't give a pattern for church leadership so all of the hundreds of different models of church leadership that are out there well they're all equally valid and yet when I read the New Testament that really is not what I find. In 1 Peter The role of elders as shepherds of the flock is described. In James, we're told to call the elders of the church to pray for the sick. In Titus, elders are appointed in every town as people who are are found who match certain qualifications. And these qualifications for elders and for deacons are given in more detail in 1 Timothy, which also lays out how they're to be treated by the church, uh, given double honor. Incidentally, that's a financial term. It means double pay. And uh, how accusations against them are to be dealt with as well. In Ephesians, we're told about leadership gifts, the purpose of leaders, and how church should be organized as a body and how that follows on from that. And in Romans, Paul sends greetings to male and female apostles, elders, and deacons. And then, of course, there's the book of Acts that we're studying. Here in chapter 6, we have apostles and deacons. In Acts 11 and 13, we're told about the leaders of the church in Antioch. In Acts 20, Paul addresses the elders of the church in Ephesus, calling them overseers and shepherds of the flock. In Acts 15, we hear about the apostles and elders of the church in Jerusalem. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas appoint elders in each church, and so on, and so on, and so on. And these are only the passages where church leadership is directly addressed. There's far more indirect material about local church leadership in in things like the examples of Paul, Peter, John, Timothy, Titus, Apollos, Barnabas, Silas, and on and on. There is such a thing as biblical church leadership. And since there is, shouldn't more churches be making use of it? All this biblical material on church leadership. Good church leadership corresponds to biblical patterns. What happens here in Acts chapter six is tremendously important. And not just because of the appointment of these leaders. You see, their appointment signifies something else of huge significance. This is the first time that the church takes on life as an organization. From this moment on, the church will always have two natures. It's like a coin with two sides. On one side, the church is like a movement. That's what we've seen in these early chapters of the book of Acts. The church as a movement of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of Jesus, a movement that's been growing at a fantastic rate as more and more people have been added, a spiritual, moral, social, and economic revolution as the kingdom of God breaks into people's lives. The church is a movement that is God's chosen means of mission in the world. But now, on the other side of the coin, we're going to see that the church is also an institution, an organization. The church is not just proclaiming a message, it's also able to organize itself to provide in a systematic way for needy people to meet ongoing needs, and to answer difficult questions about how things should be done. And from this point on, the church is always supposed to have this dual character as a movement and as an institution. And history has shown us that it's far easier to maintain the church as institution than it is to retain the church's character as a world-changing movement. We tend to default to keeping the institution going, and the radical mission of God falls by the wayside. But the truth is that we need both. If the church is a movement without organization, it rapidly descends into chaos and heresy. And that's what we see being resisted in some of the letters in the New Testament. On the other hand, as I say, this is proven to be the more likely problem. If the church is an institution without retaining its character as a spirit-filled missionary movement, it's soon overtaken by dead orthodoxy, with life and no mission. God's frozen chosen, as George Verwe used to say. And the key to maintaining this balance I would argue is having the right forms of church leadership, the right leadership structures. Good church leadership requires good leaders and good leadership structures. See, it's not enough to have just good leaders. I've served over the years in several churches that had lots of good leaders, but didn't have good leadership. The leadership structures of the church didn't release those people to do their best instead the church structures got in the way they frustrated the leaders in the use of their gifts and in their sense of call and they confused them about their role look at what the Apostles say in Acts chapter 6 about this in verse 2 the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles are the prototype elders. The 12 are, are a unique group in the history of the church, but their role as the leaders of the local church in Jerusalem is gradually taken over by elders. We, we see that happening specifically in Acts chapter 14. And it's that model of elders that is repeated in, in all the churches that are planted as Christians go out as missionaries all over the Roman Empire and beyond. So in Acts chapter six, the 12 are freed by the creation of these second uh, different kind of leaders, the, the prototype deacons to focus on the task that they're supposed to do. Uh, In one church that I belonged to, the the chair of the board recognized that the, the leadership structures that we had were not working. He identified the fact that the leaders were spending almost all their time focusing on the institutional realities of the church and almost no time at all on the church as a missionary movement. And the church leadership structures didn't match what the board found when they studied the New Testament. So the church changed its structures and it adopted a model with elders and deacons. But here's the thing, the people who were leading the church didn't change. It was the same group of leaders, they just had different roles. Elders were freed to give oversight to the church, and deacons were freed to lead ministry teams and to run the ministries of the church. And they flourished, and the church became healthier and healthier, and the church began to grow. Good church leadership requires good leadership and good leadership structures. And that's what we're seeing in Acts chapter 6, the establishment Of good leadership structures that allow those leaders and consequently allow the church to flourish. Now this distinction of roles that we see beginning here it's repeated in other parts of the New Testament where they become these two offices in the local church. So in your English Bible you may find a number of different titles used for the first of these Uh, elders, presbyters, bishops even. All of these are the same office in the New Testament church. Perhaps the most useful title I think is overseers because it points to the main character of their work. They are leaders who oversee the life of the whole church, elders, uh, overseers. The other office is that of deacon. Uh, Deacon literally means servant and following in the footsteps of these seven who are chosen to administer the daily provision of food for those in need, deacons serve by coordinating, facilitating, managing, administering the ministries of a local church. But don't think of this as a lesser form of leadership. The qualifications that are required of a person to serve in this role or almost exactly the same as those the New Testament sets out for those called to be elders. And look at what we know about those who are appointed to this role here in Acts chapter 6. Stephen, Stephen we're told is a man full of God's grace and power, who performed great wonders and signs among the people. In the next chapter he preaches an extraordinarily bold message before the Sanhedrin. And then he becomes the church's first martyr. Philip. Philip sets off as a missionary, taking the gospel to Samaria, where he delivers people from demons, heals the sick, just the same as the apostles. Then he's sent by the angel of the Lord to explain the scriptures to an important Ethiopian official, after which he's transported by the Holy Spirit to Azotus, from where he sets off to preach the gospel in every town to Caesarea. These are not second-class spiritual leaders by any stretch of the imagination, are they? But Acts 6 is primarily concerned with what the apostles are freed to do by these other leaders. So I want to talk for a little while about what elders, overseers do. And there are two tasks that are right here in verse 4 that are the cornerstone of the work of elders. We will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When we look at the lists of qualifications for elders in the New Testament, there is one thing that stands out. The most often repeated quality for any Christian leader is that they are full of the Spirit. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And the New Testament also tells us to look out for people of character, primarily demonstrated by a person's family life, to look for gifting and for calling and for people of love and integrity. But for elders, the New Testament also says that they must be able to teach. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that they must be preachers, but no one should be an elder who cannot teach others about the faith. So it's a good idea for churches to look for people who are actually doing that when they're looking for new elders. And then the other thing, clearly, is that they need to be people who are examples of prayer. They have a relationship with God in prayer that is an example uh, to others. Prayer and teaching the word, these are the key tasks. But that said, it's clear that their duties include other things. Things that are implicit here in Acts chapter 6 and that are expanded on in the rest of the New Testament. And I want to point to four roles in particular uh, before we finish. Four roles which I would say are the core of what the elders of a local church should be doing in addition to prayer and teaching the word and the first of these is to set and maintain the priorities of the church at any given time there are a thousand and one things that need to be attended to in the life of a local church someone needs to be responsible for deciding which things are the priorities at that point in time that's the elders earlier in the gospels we see jesus setting and maintaining the priority for his disciples. Later in the letters, we see leaders like Paul and Peter, James and John, setting and maintaining the priorities of those who they're writing to. And here in Acts 6, the 12 are setting the priorities for the Jerusalem church. The second role of elders is to identify and nurture other leaders. Again, in the Gospels, we see Jesus appointing and training the apostles. And later, we'll see, for example, Paul uh, calling Timothy into leadership and training him, and then writing to him to nurture him in his ministry. And here in Acts 6, the apostles define the qualities that are needed and the roles that are going to be given to these new leaders. And when the church has chosen the group who are going to serve, The apostles lay hands on them and give them the authority to carry out their new ministry. So, setting and maintaining the priorities of the church, identifying and nurturing other leaders. A third role of elders is to guard the flock. Now, what do I mean by that? Guard them from what? Well, principally from false teaching, false doctrine. When Paul speaks to the elders of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, some will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Guard the flock from false doctrine, from dangerous people both outside and inside the church, from false assumptions about reality, like some of the ways that people on social media want to distort the Christian faith, from Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and also from infantilism, that is not growing up in the faith, staying an infant in the faith. Uh, Several times the New Testament warns us that we can be Christians for a long time, many, many years, but not have grown up in our faith. So guard the flock. And Jesus, of course, describes himself as the good shepherd, And later, Peter will write to other elders, calling them to be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And here in Acts chapter 6, as we explored in some depth last week, the twelve guard the Jerusalem church from grumbling, division, and disunity, over this distribution of food to those in need. Set and maintain priorities. Identify and nurture other leaders. Guard the flock. And finally, shape the church's process of discerning the will of God. Uh, Often job postings for pastors will say something like, we're looking for a visionary leader. Now those of us in college, in Bible college, we know that that's code. It's code for someone to come and tell us what on earth we should be doing. But the job of elders is really not to dictate to others what they should be doing and where they should be going. Rather it is to shape a process in which the whole church can listen together for the voice of God. To shape a a discernment process in which the whole congregation can participate in hearing the call of God. And Jesus does this at the beginning of the book of Acts. The disciples ask him, Lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he responds, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, he reframes the conversation. He creates for the disciples a larger lens through which the disciples can look at the world and see the will of God. And the same thing happens in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus repeats this phrase, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He reframes the conversation, reshapes their thinking processes so that they can see the will of God. Later, Paul points to the same thing. For example, when he writes to the church in Rome, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Here in Acts 6, the 12 shape a process to address this difficulty over food distribution. And that process that they shape Brings the whole church in and reframes this issue as one of church unity. So what I'm saying is that in addition to the two primary activities of overseers, the 12 uh, identify in this passage, uh, prayer and teaching of the word, the role of elders and incidentally it's always elders plural and not elder singular, The role of elders in a local church also involves setting and maintaining the church's priorities, identifying and nurturing other leaders, guarding the flock, and shaping the church's ongoing process of discerning the will of God. Now, in addition to these tasks, each individual elder also has specific gifts from God. Some have apostolic leadership gifts, Others have prophetic gifts, others evangelistic gifts, others pastoral gifts, others teaching gifts, others administrative gifts, and so on. There's a great deal more for us to say about church leadership in the New Testament. Uh, We've hardly touched on the qualifications of leaders, the, the task of deacons, what the various spiritual gifts of leaders are. Uh, The contextual sensitivity of leadership selection, Uh, we see that here, for example, where all of the men who are chosen are Greek-speaking Jews. We haven't said anything today about women in leadership, or about the importance of church leadership being proactive rather than merely reactive, or how churches go about preparing the next generation of leaders, and, and on and on and on. So many more things to say. But in going back to this passage in Acts today, our main purpose was to see that there are biblical patterns of church leadership. One of the key reasons that so many churches in the Western world in particular are failing to flourish is that the model of leadership they're using is not rooted in the Bible. And if our church leadership structures don't come out of the Bible, then they're coming from somewhere else, from business practices, from secular models of leadership that don't have any place for discerning the will of God or following the movement of the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder, isn't it, that churches struggle when we don't trust the scriptures to guide the forms of leadership that we use in the church. As challenging as it is to change, we should be committed to a biblical pattern of church leadership. Will you pray with me? Lord we want to thank you that all that we need for our own lives and for the life of our church is present in your word. And we recognize Lord these two characteristics of the church. The church as a, a movement of your spirit, a missionary movement, and the church as an organization, an institution. Lord, we pray for the leaders in our own church who take on these responsibilities. Lord, bless them and keep them, guide them and through them draw us together in unity and in love as a church. Lord, we love you and we want to follow you together with all our hearts. And we want to give you glory as we grow together as your church. We pray for these things in the name of your Son, without whom there would be no church. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit first